Midnight Facts for Insomniacs. <laughs> I just learned something. Oh, I'm having fun now. If someone is denying being a billionaire, I'm just going to take their word for it. Yeah, like, wh why would you disbelieve him? Plus, otherwise, you're just rubbing in their lack of success. I see you're driving a Kia Rio and living with your parents. Nice try, undercover rich guy. <laughs> hey, Duncan. Yo, hit me. So we are right in the middle of our espionage series. I think yeah. we've released two so far. And I definitely want to finish that series. I'm actually really enjoying that. That's been a lot of fun for me. Yeah. So I want to go even deeper into some other aspects of the spy game. And that will happen soon. Right now, we're going to take a detour. Okay. We are going to go deep into cryptocurrency and Bitcoin. Ah. And so just to get this out of the way, we are not endorsing Bitcoin in any way. I'm not doing this episode because I'm some kind of Bitcoin evangelist. There are so many podcasts that are like two dudes with beards slash goatees, middle-aged in a room telling you to buy crypto. Mm. That's not what this is. This no, no. is all those other things, but not the, that last thing. <laughs> I was going to say, it's a frighteningly <laughs> accurate description right up until the end. We are not those guys. No. We don't own uh, crypto. I do not own a Bitcoin. No. Or I should say a fraction of a Bitcoin. Yeah. Because right now, one Bitcoin is worth about $35,000. And a few months ago, it was worth twice that. It was like 70000 Damn. I don't know about you, but I don't personally have the cost of an entire Tesla to drop on a virtual asset with a dollar value that on a day-to-day -day basis looks like a heart monitor. <laughs> yeah, no, I really don't have enough money to drop on new tires. I don't, yeah, I don't know what this whole Tesla idea is coming from. It's just gambling. Yeah. Cryptocurrency right now is just gambling. Yeah. And the one thing I will say is that you should not invest any money that you actually need in cryptocurrency. This is not investing for your future. This is fun money hmm. if you have that. Yes. And also if you have that... You know, kind of fuck you, but like, <laughs> good for you, and congratulations. Send us some. Yeah. Hey, we need fun money. If you're fancy. You bougie bitch. So to understand cryptocurrency, it helps to understand how money actually works. Oh, no. Money is a unique human creation in that it requires consensus and agreement. We've agreed that these particular pieces of paper can be exchanged for everything from an iPhone to an animal to a house. To sex in an alleyway. Yeah, that is amazing to think about. You can exchange pieces of dirty paper for a house or a creature. Yeah. People will treat you differently based on how many pieces of paper you have. Yeah, maybe they'll treat you differently. I'm pretty sure they would still kick me out of the restaurant. <laughs> you want me to be nice to you? What's your paper situation? <laughs> Which by itself is kind of random. Money did not have to be made of paper. Yeah. It could have been anything. Among some of the accepted forms of currency in history, salt, from which we get the word salary, uh, bricks of compressed tea in Asia, mm -hmm. Parmesan cheese. Yeah, rice in feudal Japan, wampum in Native American. But it's interesting to me because many of these cryptocurrencies that we're going to talk about today, they have often been mocked for being like made up as if the value of green pieces of paper isn't made up. I think it's really interesting also that we're one of the only countries out there that is, is apparently either colorblind or just really, really boring because other countries, you know, paper markers are very, very pretty. Yeah, ours is, they call it green, but it's not even like a green. It's like a faded kind of grayish green. It is the drabbest possible green. Yeah, yeah. No one has ever been like, my favorite color is green. And then you say, what shade of green? And then they show you a dollar. Yeah. Everyone's always like, oh, it's forest green or pine green. They're not like yeah. money green. Unless yeah. they're trying to be, you know, assholes. Money green is just green that's super depressed. <laughs> money green is a green that needs a friggin' Prozac and a cup of coffee. So as we established, there have been multiple types of currency through the ages and multiple categories of currency. Hmm. So commodity money 
is money that intrinsically has value based on the fact that it's made out of a commodity. Solid gold coins are an obvious example, but also, as we mentioned, tea and salt and cheese. And if you think about it, even today, there are commodity currencies within the larger economy. Hmm. In prison, cigarettes have traditionally been a commodity currency. So has bung. <laughs> saying you can sell your ass yeah is that okay I guess. more of a barter situation but you know that's more like anatomical currency but i guess uh, parts of your anatomy can be a commodity depending on how much demand there is that really goes along with this episode because a lot of these commodity currencies fluctuate in value based on their demand right like in the real world uh, my butt nah, not worth that much <laughs> in prison very highly prized oh yes highly highly prized i'm a snack i'm a prison snack God. I love how much joy is just being evinced on your face right now. You're like, I am worth something in prison. If I ever want to feel good about myself, I just got to... Fuck up real bad. Kill someone. <laughs> Don't give me ideas. I can't. You are within stabbing reach. Yes, but stronger. It's not stronger than a knife. <laughs> I am more powerful than your knife, sir. Let's find out. <laughs> But yeah, in prison, you can exchange things like cigarettes and drugs and uh, hooch mm. for favors or useful items like your life. <laughs> That's Which, useful. It's true. It is a useful item, I found, up until now. So commodity currencies were the first forms of money and were eventually replaced by representative currency, mm. which can be anything. It can be paper or cardboard or seashells. Sure. But it always represents a commodity. Right. The common example is the gold standard. For many years in America, paper currency actually represented a certain weight in gold. Oh, so right. every paper dollar represented a dollar's worth of gold that was sitting in a bank somewhere. But no one wants to carry around heavy-ass gold, so it makes more sense to carry around paper that represents that gold. Yeah. What's funny to me now is that we've gone the opposite direction. Like, no one used to want to carry gold, so they came up with representative currency because they were like, this sucks. Right. And now every fucking rapper and douchebag in the world is like i'm gonna carry as much gold as i possibly can fit on my teeth and chest it's like no turn all that in and put get the money and put it in the bank and then you can walk around unencumbered yes also don't I, put money in your mouth my boomerist moment yeah, yeah i was gonna say okay boomer <laughs> like these youngsters with their sparkly teeth and their their rims and their ghost riding the switch or whatever the hell they say so back when we were on the gold standard in this country, you could actually take a dollar bill into a bank and exchange it for the equivalent amount of gold. Hmm. Just a fraction of a flake. Which seems totally useful. One, one dollar worth of gold. And they just gave you a look. And they yeah. were like, mm -hmm. here you go, dude. <laughs> yeah, there's a reason you can't do that anymore. Yeah. That's silly. But I encourage you to try. Just bring a dollar into a bank and demand a dollar's worth of gold and report back. Once they've thrown you out on your ass, quite literally, we will hear from you. The gold standard actually came after the silver standard. Silver was the original gold. Right. America adopted the silver standard in 1795 and officially switched to gold in 1900. Hmm. But when the Depression hit, Americans lost faith in paper money and began frantically exchanging their greenbacks for gold and hoarding gold. And as a result, the gold standard was officially abandoned in 1933. Hmm. Quote, on April 20th, FDR ordered Americans to turn in their gold in exchange for dollars to prohibit the hoarding of gold and the redemption of gold by other countries. This created the gold reserves at Fort Knox. The United States soon held the world's largest supply of gold. Huh, really? It what? is good to be the government. I hereby decree that you all need to bring me your gold. And in return, I shall give you some green paper with writing on it. 
and you can trade those green sad pieces of paper amongst yourselves and I'm just going to be over here taking care of all your gold and keeping it safe. Don't worry about your gold. I got it yeah. covered. Promise it'll never, ever, ever go towards anything you wouldn't like. You're welcome. <laughs> now, the gold standard does have the advantage of tying currency to something tangible, which limits the amount of money a country can print because you can't print more money than the amount of gold you possess. Right. Which in turn helps control inflation. Mm. Inflation is a supply and demand issue. When we all have a bunch of money in our pockets and we're all competing to buy the same goods, the value of those goods goes up and the purchasing power of your dollar goes down. Hmm. But the gold standard also has the Smaug effect, the dragon effect. Countries become like creepy hoarders of gold. And if massive reserves of gold are discovered somewhere in the world, that would affect the entire world economy. It's just too volatile. Yeah. So we decided we needed a form of currency that was not attached to some particular substance. Hmm. That's the word substance always sounds kind of gross. I don't know. I don't know why I used it. It's technically accurate, but it sounds like a saliva-based currency or something. <laughs> Mucus-based money. Yeah. Yay. So now we have what's called a fiat currency, hmm. which only has value because we say so. Fiat currency does not represent any commodity at all. Instead, it represents compact European two-door sedans. <laughs> now, unrelated to the car company. But fiat currency comes with dangers as well because it means a country can print as much money as it chooses to print. Hmm. And now we're back to the dangers of inflation. Right. So every type of currency has advantages and disadvantages, and cryptocurrency is no different. Mm. So in order to explain Bitcoin, let's first recap. For money to work, there has to be a limited amount of it. Yep. But how would that work with digital currency, which is ultimately just numbers in a computer that can be manipulated at will? You need a way to create scarcity and make it difficult to increase the supply. So one strategy is to essentially make it a virtual commodity. You could model it after something like gold. You could force computers to digitally dig up your currency, a.k.a. mine it, ensuring that a limited amount is released over time and that there's actual work that goes into producing or virtually unearthing it. Hmm. And that's what Bitcoin does. It mimics a representative currency. So one Bitcoin represents a bunch of digital gold that was, quote, dug up using sophisticated technology. Huh. Okay. So Bitcoin finally shows up in what's called a white paper on October 31st, 2008, mm -hmm. Halloween. It first appears on a cypherpunk mailing list. That is uh, nerds. Okay, mm -hmm. sure, sure. A white paper is a technical document that is created by a non-governmental organization and is intended to explain or propose a complex subject to the public. Mm. The Bitcoin white paper was signed by one Satoshi Nakamoto the person or persons who created Bitcoin and mined a fortune of it before disappearing. He, she, or they has never been conclusively unmasked. Hmm. But not for lack of trying. If your name is Satoshi Nakamoto, for the last decade, it sucks to be you. As was the case for Dorian Satoshi Nakamoto, a Japanese-American man in California who was hounded by reporters and even chased in his car, and to this day still fends off people constantly digging into his past. Ouch, she got Diana just for having a similar name? Mm-hmm. Damn. Which seems silly to me, because, like, if someone is denying being a billionaire, I'm just going to take their word for it. Yeah. Like, wh why would you disbelieve him? Plus, otherwise, you're just rubbing in their lack of success. Like, I see you're driving a Kia Rio and living with your parents. Nice try, undercover rich guy. <laughs> Damn it. How many times do I have to tell you I am not a rich genius? What do I have to do to prove to you that I'm a complete loser? I just realized, if you were, in fact, a rich genius, or at least not a complete moron, and someone is accusing you of being a rich genius, 
you just give the interview in charge for it, and suddenly you have money. Yeah. And be like, yeah, no, totally. Me and my friends made this up, and it was cool, and then I don't know. Yeah. Take the credit and put that on your LinkedIn. Yeah. The creator of Bitcoin, hire me. <laughs> the problem is then you got to like actually have some programming chops. and Yeah. Yeah. So the word Bitcoin obviously is a mashing of bit and coin. Bit being a contraction of the two words binary digit, the simplest and most basic form of computer data, and coin being coin. <laughs> I was waiting for another contraction. I was like, hmm? So a couple months after the release of the white paper, on January 3rd, the anonymous person or persons behind Satoshi Nakamoto released the open source code for Bitcoin and the protocol officially launched, implementing the content of the white paper and also the, quote, Genesis block, the first step on the path to the first ever Bitcoin mining project. Genesis block sounds like something from Transformers. It does. Yeah. I am Optimus Prime and we must guard the Genesis block. The all spark has been removed from the Genesis block. I can't add my voice is not deep enough. You just sound like you have a cold. I mean, do you want me to do that? The all spark has been removed from the Genesis block. That was pretty good. Thank you. I could do uh, Starscream. You can. Because his voice was shrill and annoying. <laughs> his voice was a castrato on <laughs> fucking meth. Yes. Optimus Prime! Oh, Jesus, stop. <laughs> I have headphones on. Why would you do that to me? Oh, Lord. It took a week for the creator of Bitcoin to mine the first coins. Nakamoto would eventually mine over a million Bitcoins before disappearing into the ether. That is the most Bitcoin owned by any one individual. Hmm. At today's market valuation, that's a $38 billion fortune. So a little. Of course, that valuation will be different tomorrow. <laughs> Fair. Might be significantly more. Hmm? He might be walking around in a barrel with suspenders. And we're back to that. All right. And for what it's worth, Nakamoto, in quotes, has yet to remove or spend any of his Bitcoin stash. Mm. Uh, there has been speculation that the founder of Bitcoin actually lost the password or the digital key to the fortune, which is another common issue with cryptocurrency. So it is possible and we may never know. That is, talk about your all-time dough situation. Like, how do you explain that if it was a conglomerate of people? How do you explain that to the other poor bastards who co-own that password with you? Like... All right, so you see what happened was. <laughs> so we're always wondering, like, why has Satoshi Nakamoto not come forward? Right. We just think, oh, he was this benevolent creator who gave us this gift and then didn't want the spotlight. Right. I think he's just fucking embarrassed. Because <laughs> if he came forward, they'd be like, why haven't you spent any $38 billion? He'd be like, yeah, about that. <laughs> see, the funny thing was, <laughs> I laundered it. Literally. It went through the laundry and, and now it doesn't work anymore. <laughs> More money, more problems. Uh-huh. That's what I would say if I was Satoshi Nakamoto. Yeah. Like, where's your $38 billion? He'd be like, you know what? I got 99 problems and $38 billion ain't one. And the other person next to you would slap the living <laughs> shit out of you. He'd be like, you damn skippy, you dummy. Yeah. If more, if more money is more problems, $38 billion, that's a lot of problems. Ooh. Yeah. But also, like... A lot of solutions as well, yeah. one might say. <laughs> True. <laughs> So the first so-called real-world transaction uh, via Bitcoin was on May 22, 2010, and involved a guy named Laszlo Hanyets paying another guy 10,000 Bitcoin for two Papa John's pizzas. Mm. At the time, that was about 20 bucks, mm. and today would be approximately 380 million. Holy <laughs> fuck. We got extra cheese. Yeah, dude, dude, I hope you got the extra store. 
that would ruin pizza for you for the rest of time and that's the that's the biggest tragedy here yeah i I think that would fully end my ability to eat pizza ever 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 and i would cry and probably off myself someone mentions pizza he's like we don't say fucking pizza in this house (laughs) we don't say that fucking word the p word is not involved in this family the food that shall not be named So let's quickly explain the basics of the tech behind Bitcoin and blockchain. Okay. At its core, blockchain is not an intimidating or complicated concept. It's not something you can beat someone with, got it? Not physically. Hmm. You could torture them on a podcast with a long-winded explanation of how it works. You, you is, could, but why would you? Only is, an asshole would do that. It's kind of like beating someone with a blockchain. <laughs> It's actually very interesting, I think. Yes. Blockchain is just a ledger or a database. It is basically a long-ass receipt of Bitcoin transactions. Hmm. Each new transaction is called a block, and it is added to the previous block in chronological order, forming a digital chain of transactions. Hmm. The content of each block is dependent on the content of previous blocks. Think of it as like Legos or a Jenga puzzle, in which the incoming blocks have to match up and fit with the previous blocks. If you tried to remove or alter a previous block, the whole thing would come crashing down. Okay. So you can't remove a block or rearrange them, and each of these millions of connected computers or nodes has a copy of the blockchain, the transaction list. Hmm. So the blockchain is decentralized and peer-to-peer, and this means that effectively the blockchain cannot be altered or hacked. You could break into a computer and mess with the ledger, the blockchain, on that individual computer, but every other computer would immediately compare the edits to the blockchain on a million other computers and reject that hack. Got it. Okay. It's basically majority rules. So in order to rewrite the blockchain, you would have to simultaneously control over 50% of the computers using that technology in order to create a verification crisis in which the computers suddenly don't know which blockchain is correct, the new version or the original. This kind of hack, known as a 51% attack, would generally only be possible with smaller cryptocurrencies, so-called shitcoins, that are on very few computers. Hmm. With a blockchain network the size of bitcoins, it would be unfathomable. Okay. Well, there goes my next month's plan. I don't know. You've convinced me. All right, I can't do it. I encourage you to try. (laughs) If anyone's going to figure it out, it's not you, but also, (laughs) it's definitely not me. So... One of us might as well be trying. I got shit to do, but I would like to delegate this responsibility. I bet you would. (laughs) Hook it up. Nope. Not even a little nope. So while blockchain isn't necessarily unhackable, you can hack a blockchain with the 51% attack. The Bitcoin blockchain in particular, and any other blockchain that reaches its size and scale, is for all intents and purposes completely secure. Okay. So this seems like a positive in terms of Bitcoin. Now, this unhackability does not apply to individual Bitcoin exchanges, which are services that are used to store and share Bitcoin. Hmm. These exchanges are like a bank that holds the Bitcoin. Mm -hmm. And you can rob a bank. That money doesn't go away. That money just gets transferred to someone else. The Bitcoin still exists. But you can absolutely hack the places where the Bitcoin is stored Mm -hmm. and take a bunch of Bitcoin. Huh. Okay. And that doesn't get protected from with the blockchain? The blockchain is just a record of Bitcoin transactions. There are all these Bitcoins out in the world, and every time one is spent or transferred or transmitted to someone, the blockchain records that transaction. But the blockchain has nothing to do with holding onto that Bitcoin. The Bitcoin is still out there floating around. The blockchain is just recording everywhere it's going. Hmm. So Bitcoins, as we said, are, quote, mined via what's called a proof-of-work concept. Sounds complicated, but all it comes down to is that you have to work for Bitcoin. Or at least your computer has to work for Bitcoin. 
what you're doing when you're mining for Bitcoin is that you're giving computers extremely complex equations to solve to make them work and show proof that they've worked. Proof of work. Huh. It's a way of artificially creating scarcity of Bitcoin. Okay. You can't just declare, I have created a Bitcoin. I mean, you can, but people just declare they're fucking Jesus all the time on street corners. Doesn't it, actually make them Jesus. Right. So that's how you mine a Bitcoin. I guess you could also say be rewarded with a Bitcoin because honestly, the idea of mining Bitcoin, an insult to real miners everywhere. <laughs> yeah, you're not exactly having to fight off black lung or the danger of getting, you know, buried in your Bitcoin mine. Yeah, mining is filthy backbreaking work. Hmm. You could mine Bitcoin while sleeping. You could mine Bitcoin while masturbating and watching anime. I'm pretty sure you could do anything while mining Bitcoin. So this can get a little more complicated, but we'll keep it simple by saying that the very difficult equations that miners are solving, or at least their computers are, are equations that are verifying and storing transactions to the blockchain. So the proof of work is actually how the blockchain is built. Hmm. Anyone can technically mine Bitcoin, but it takes a lot of processing power and a lot of time. And at this point, you'd have to invest in some really extreme technology because there are massive wealthy organizations that have huge server farms full of processors just chugging away. Hmm. And you're competing with those. So, you know, good luck. It's much easier to be a Bitcoin spender than a Bitcoin miner. Right. You're probably better off actually mining than being a Bitcoin miner at this <laughs> yeah. point. Yeah. I am not equipped to set up a server farm, but I can spend the hell out of some Bitcoin <laughs> if you want to give me some. I'd, I'd be happy to uh, prove it. Yeah. We here at Midnight Facts for Insomniacs accept Bitcoin. At least as long as it's still being created. Uh, we discussed scarcity before. There is a maximum amount of Bitcoin that is ever going to be created. Hmm. It was determined by Satoshi Nakamoto. 21 million is the maximum amount of Bitcoin that will ever exist. Huh. Plus, the amount of the coin that can be mined every day and every year is predetermined. And that number is being reduced over time as determined by Satoshi's Bitcoin code. Which means that it's going to be less and less lucrative to be a Bitcoin miner every passing year. Even as more and more people are jumping on board to split that pot of virtual gold. That's so nutty. That, that would be like planning into the future to decide how much gold or diamonds was in this mountain. And, you know, you just, you just plan that. It's sort of like playing digital god in a way. It's weird. Yeah, so worldwide, there are fewer than 1,000 Bitcoins being mined every day. So if you're an amateur miner, you're probably earning fractions of a cent daily. In fact, 80% of the 21 million maximum Bitcoin have already been mined. Eee. However, it's going to take a long-ass time to mine that last 20% due to the aforementioned steep decrease in available Bitcoin that Satoshi built into the code. So roughly every four years, the total number of Bitcoin that can be mined in a given length of time drops by half. Wow. So at the current pace, the supply of Bitcoin is not set to run out until the year 2140 when it hits that 21 million Bitcoin. So we've got some time. So when we do finally hit that 21 million in the year 2140, when that happens, Bitcoin mining will completely cease. No one will be financially benefiting from Bitcoin mining. But those equations will still have to be crunched because they are how the blockchain is sustained. So how are we going to convince people to continue using all of that energy and processing power without rewarding them with actual Bitcoin? Well, there will still be transaction fees. <laughs> Shit. Did you really think this anarchist underground currency wouldn't involve a bureaucracy and petty fees? <laughs> I mean, I hoped for a millisecond and then I realized, oh, wait, human. Right now, each transaction includes a fee similar to a credit card transaction, and those fees are divvied up among the miners. 
The fees vary depending on how quickly you want your transaction processed. It's kind of complicated, but basically every transaction sits in a memory pool until a miner grabs that transaction and starts crunching the numbers. But those miners are naturally going to grab the transactions with higher fees first. Right. If you offer a higher transaction fee, it's more likely that a Bitcoin miner will choose to process your transaction because it's more lucrative. Right. It's basically just a virtual Bitcoin auction going on all the time. Just... Uh, do I hear one eight hundred thousandth of a Bitcoin? Do I hear go one eight hundred? Do I seventy five hundred thousandths of a Bitcoin? One six hundred fifty thousandths of a Bitcoin? Going once, going twice, sold to the computer of that guy who's eating Cheetos and masturbating in the corner and has nothing to do with this because it's all automated and Bitcoin isn't really mining at all. <laughs> Ouch! I could actually see that. <laughs> so when all the Bitcoin runs out in twenty one forty, those transaction fees will be the only benefit to data crunching, and those fees are only about six percent of what miners are making today by a Bitcoin. So how is all this going to shake out? There are a few different future possibilities. Uh, maybe all of the casual independent miners will immediately go out of business and only the large firms will still be able to make money. Hmm. So we've never seen that before. It's so weird. It's almost like you're describing a dystopian future in which big corporations run everything and we, the little people, the plebs, do all the work. Or maybe the code will be revised in some way. Uh, but either way, it is clear that Bitcoin will continue to become more accepted in mainstream, which sort of runs counter to the whole rebellious spirit of crypto. After all, as mentioned, cryptocurrency has historically been used by criminals and drug dealers to hide their illicit deals, right. uh, most famously via the Silk Road, which Ooh. we will eventually do an episode on. Yes. But the future of crypto could be much more pedestrian and controlled. Quote, Bitcoin is often perceived as an anonymous payment network, but in reality, it's probably the most transparent payment network in the world. All Bitcoin transactions are public, traceable, and permanently stored in the Bitcoin network. Does it tell you what you spent it on or just that you spent it? It doesn't, and it doesn't tell you who spent it either. Mm. All it is is a record that this Bitcoin was taken from this address and moved over to that address. But those addresses are still there, and you can look up an address and see everything that that address has spent money on. So Bitcoin is referred to as pseudonymous. Mm. Uh, it has been compared to a Twitter account. I have a Twitter account under a fake name. No one on Twitter knows who that is. But there is a record of every tweet that I've tweeted, and it's associated with that account. And if anyone could find a way to link me to that account, there would then have been a record of everything I've tweeted. I couldn't deny it. Right. And there are little like crumbs and clues that make it really easy, again, to figure this stuff out. My anonymous Twitter account has a graphic that's clearly from MFFI. Oh, no. Wait, you really <laughs> so, have a Twitter account? I do. So I have, oh, Lord. But again, it wouldn't be that hard to figure out if someone did a little digging. I don't think that I've ever said anything that's inflammatory enough, mm. but I, I don't know. You, People are sensitive. I was going to say, and you probably brushed up, knowing you as I do, you probably brushed up against that line pretty heavy. I said some things that I've uh, reconsidered later, <laughs> but it's anonymous, so I don't go back and bother to delete it. And it's anonymous so, for now, and then it, we're going to get big, and then people are going to dig that up, and you're going to be canceled, and I'm going to have to find new co-hosts. Yeah, it's a ticking time bomb. That's what it is. <laughs> Sweet. And it's going to be the end of us. <laughs> I appreciate you telling me now. Yeah. I can at least continue to clench until it's found out. Now that I'm thinking about it, I should probably, I should probably go delete that. <laughs> Bitcoin is also no better than cash when it comes to storing your money. It is basically like regressing to the days of storing cash under your mattress. Hmm or carrying it in your wallet. In fact, the name for a Bitcoin storage is a digital wallet. Right. Bitcoin wallets work just like an email program. Quote, in this case, the email program you use is your Bitcoin wallet. Your emails are the Bitcoins that get sent back and forth, and your email address is your Bitcoin address. Hmm. 
So there are different types of Bitcoin wallets, web wallets, uh, software on the web, and uh, hardware wallets. That would be on a like a USB dongle. Ah, okay. So one of my favorite words. Dongly. So I am five. <laughs> Fetch me the largest of dongles <laughs> for my massive Bitcoins. But if you're storing your Bitcoin in a dongle, uh, that is very vulnerable. Dongles, very vulnerable. Very they're, sensitive they're, pieces of equipment. It's, you, we have to be careful. Don't lose track of your dongle. Every time I've lost track of my dongle, bad things have happened. It's true. Know what's going on with your dongle. Check your dongle and your Jessup. And it's very easy to lose. Like in all seriousness, it's really, that's crazy to me that you would store like a fortune on a little piece of hardware. Right. That you could... Again, you could pull a Satoshi and fucking you know, put it through the wash. Yep. People have done that. People have lost. There was a guy who lost millions of dollars worth of Bitcoin. He threw it out and he's been petitioning a city to be able to go to the dump and dig up the dump. And he said that he would then share his Bitcoin with the city if he was able to find it. And they didn't give him permission to do it. But like, you know, there's a guy that, again, I'm glad he hasn't found a cliff. I was going to say, that again, that's cliff-worthy in my opinion. But if you're storing your Bitcoin in third-party software, that's what a lot of people do because they're like, well, I don't want to have it on my physical person, so I'm going to put it in a digital bank online. Right. That software is vulnerable to hacking, mm. and uh, many of them get hacked. Bitcoin, in fact, is way more vulnerable than pretty much any other form of currency that you would have in the modern world. Like, I bank with Chase, the Chase Bank. Right. If the Chase Bank down the street, the physical bank, gets robbed and the thieves make off with all that money and or they hack into the bank and change a bunch of people's account numbers, I haven't lost a dime. Right. Even if Chase went out of business tomorrow, the federal government has insured my deposits. Because FDA. Not FDA. <laughs> FCC. F no, fuck. Who, because I'm not good with acronyms. FDIC. FDIC. That was the one. So ha. close. FDIC. <laughs> and we're back to dongles. It was that easy, folks. So if your Bitcoins fall into the wrong hands, they are gone for good. Mm -hmm. You can watch them being spent. You can see like, ah, oh, a bunch of my Bitcoins were just spent here and a bunch of my Bitcoins were just spent there. And you could just like sadly, again, sobbing into your pizza while you watch your Bitcoins dwindle away. You can see it happen in real time, but you can't get those back. There's no government that's going to go help you retrieve your Bitcoins. That is depressing as shit. Mm -hmm. That's like, oh, wait, that's like getting divorced in modern L.A. Hollywood and watching somebody else drive your woman around in a Ferrari you bought. Yeah, Ooh. they're romancing your Bitcoins. They're sitting there, probably are. They're Scrooge McDucking with the dongle. <laughs> they're just rolling around on one little dongle. <laughs> just, that's the problem with, that is the only problem with Bitcoin is like you can't bling out at all. You can't roll around on your Bitcoin. You can't throw it in the air and, you know, take pictures of you. You can't fan out your Bitcoin in an Instagram photo. and Right. I, I would just love to see somebody like fanning out five or 20 little USB fucking drives and like bapping them against some porn star's ass in the middle of some <laughs> rap video. It's like, man. <laughs> At the strip club, just making it rain. She's yeah. just like, whack with it. Ow. You little <laughs> asshole. I don't care if it's a million dollars. I don't know how to spend it. Well, we, I don't think we've ever stopped laughing that abruptly. No. And <laughs> done. <laughs> kind of took me by surprise. I was like, yeah. Nope. Mm -hmm. no. Joke over. That is, that, that, we're done with that? Okay. Yep. That was, it's over. That was enough of that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So this hacking of uh, Bitcoin exchanges, this has happened a lot. This is like common occurrence. Mm. Most famously, it happened with Mt. Gox. Founded in 2010, uh, by 2014, the Mt. Gox Japanese Bitcoin exchange was handling 70% of worldwide Bitcoin transactions. Damn. It was huge. 
It was the world's leading and largest Bitcoin exchange, and in 2014, it was hacked. When all was said and done, over 650,000 Bitcoin were siphoned away. These stories are not rare. The crypto landscape is littered with the remains of hacked and plundered Bitcoin exchanges. Yeah, it kind of reminds me of like every Wild West trope from every movie. You know, it's like, how many times is a bank robbed in every single Western you've ever seen ever? Yeah, this is the Wild West of currency. Let's briefly talk about NFTs, mm-hmm. which you might have heard about because they're all over the news lately. Hmm. NFT stands for non-fungible token. Fungibility refers to the quality of fungosity, which is an earthy umami flavor, similar to shiitakeism or portabellishness. <laughs> no. I sense lies. Fungibility just means interchangeability. Mm, okay. An item is fungible when you can trade it for other units of that same item, and all of those items are of equal value and basically carbon copies of each other. If I send you one Bitcoin and you send me a Bitcoin at the same time, it's a wash. They are of equal value. Got it. Send me a Bitcoin 10 seconds later. Less of a wash. Different value. (laughs) So an NFT uses the blockchain like Bitcoin, but unlike Bitcoin, it is non-fungible. An NFT is unique. That sounds confusing, but here's what it is. At its core, an NFT is basically just a digital certificate of ownership that gets recorded as a block in the blockchain. But in this case, the purchase is not of a physical item. An NFT is a declaration of ownership of a digital file. Like any digital file. A picture of Grumpy Cat. Or an episode of a podcast. This sounds frightfully stupid. Is this this really a thing? An NFT is meaningless, essentially, because an online digital file is infinitely copyable. You now own something that everyone else can also own. So an NFT basically provides proof that you are a sucker. (laughs) it's like a giant billboard on the internet displaying one of those i'm with stupid arrows pointing at the idiot who voluntarily paid for what everyone else gets for free right when you buy an nft you're buying bragging rights and that's about it apparently but look it is an interesting idea because what it really comes down to is a way of supporting artists it's like saying i love this piece of digital art so much that i'm going to reward the creator for making it while simultaneously announcing my love for it to the world on the blockchain. And the blockchain is forever. Fair enough. So what's the future of Bitcoin and the blockchain? There are some amazing and great aspects. (laughs) Like amazing and great. Absolutely awesome, and yet still pretty good, too. Cryptocurrency and the blockchain enable peer-to-peer monetary transactions for people who do not have access to banks. Mm. That's one amazing and also pretty good benefit okay (laughs) this is gonna be a thing now (laughs) for instance people in countries in which the currency is super volatile and wildly fluctuating even more than bitcoin is volatile and wildly fluctuating Mm. it's a great way to sort of cut the government out of a transaction okay but there are also some major downsides to crypto Mm. we have to address the electronic elephant in the room all of the energy that is used when mining bitcoin right and you've probably heard about all this The server farms are huge. They are hot. They take up a ton of electricity. Uh, But to be fair, so do the server farms for every other computing company. No one's complaining about Amazon. Right. Plus, Bitcoin will most likely eventually move from the proof-of-work system, as we described it, to what's called a proof-of-stake. And we're not going to get into the weeds on this, but suffice to say that all of the computing power necessary for proof-of-work for crypto mining, that can be mitigated using different technology and different approaches. Okay. And we're moving in that direction. So I feel like we did a good job of at least giving an overview of 
the blockchain technology and maybe the future of where it's going. And uh, if you listen to this episode, you are at least fact rich mm. and still Bitcoin poor. <laughs> Just rubbing that one in, are we? Hey, I'm in the same boat. Yeah, it's true. All right, boys and girls, ladies and insomniacs, and theys of all shapes and sizes, you know what to do. It's rate, rep, review. Go to the places, do the things we always tell you to do each and every single week. We have merch, we have Discord, we have Instagram, we have all of the things. Please leave a review wherever you get fine podcasts, or even ones like this. And, <laughs> as usual, and forever after, and always... Knowledge is power. Sleep is overrated. <laughs> <laughs>